This is Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoom. Talking to interesting people about that interesting thing that interests them. This is another episode of Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoom. And appropriately, I am Dan DeBoom, the host of the podcast. That's why I'm here. This is my show where I talk to someone interesting and creative about something they find interesting, their obsession, the thing they're dying to talk about. If only someone would actually ask them. Well, I ask them and then just sit back and let them tell me. This week, uh, my guest is Dan Illick, who you might know, uh, well, from lots of different things because he is a busy boy. He's sort of... um, Half comedian, half journalist. The title he uses for it is an investigative humorist. I guess if you can make up your own job title, you might as well make it a cool sounding one. Um, You might have seen him on Hungry Beast, Can of Worms, The Feed. He does a podcast and a live show called Irrational Fear, if you want to check that out. And he's um, at Dan Illick on social media. His obsession... And this is great. I love finding out things about people who I knew, but I didn't know what they were into. His obsession is chess the musical. Not chess the board game, but chess the musical. It's a musical from the 80s. I knew a tiny little bit about it, as will become clear in the podcast, but not very much. And Dan told me all about it. But it also really kind of hit him at a very early time in his life. And really, I think you might agree with me after listening formed who he is now and why he is an investigative humorist. Um, And as we sort of realized about each other over the course of the podcast, both of us are guys who um, don't know much about music but have written musicals because he wrote one about the Beaconsfield Miners called... um, Actually, I'll let him say what the full title was because it comes up in the chat and it's a, a delicious pun. Um, and I wrote one as well, which we talked about. So yeah, we covered a lot of ground, both about the musical and about Dan himself, which is usually a hallmark of a good Totally Obsessed. So here we go, Totally Obsessed with Dan Illick, and the topic is Chess the Musical. obsessed with? Dan, I'm obsessed with lots of things. Um, I, I do have this niggling obsession with Chester Musical. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, it, it's, it's not really like an obsession. Like if you ask me questions, I'll be able to make things up. But so, I, w- I was in Chester Musical in 1996 at my high school uh, and I've loved it ever since. Everything I know about global politics and foreign policy comes from Chester Musical. Now, for someone who doesn't know anything about musicals, um, if they're listening, I know a little bit. Um, there's a whole musical about the board game of chess. This is the grand misconception that everybody has <laughs> about chess, the musical. They People, do call it chess, so it's on them. But it, chess, the game, is more of an allegory for global politics, personal politics... And the moves we make in life and choices we make. It is dense. It is like a three... It's like a layer cake of meaning, this musical. Mm-hmm. And it's its not only is it 
uh, about a chess game, which goes over six weeks. It's like the test match of, of chess. Um, but it's also what you've got is a metaphor for Cold War relations between Russia and the USA. Okay. And you also have a love triangle put on top of that. And you've also got mass media manipulation around that as well. So you've got like four layers to contend with when watching this musical. It's it's super interesting. It's really dense and it's just great. It's just phenomenal. Okay. The music is fantastic. The music. Yeah, I know the song One Night in Bangkok. Isn't that from Chess? That's from yeah. Chess. Yeah, I, from... yeah, I know that because I was in a Uber and it came on the stereo. I was like, where is this song from? <laughs> it can't just be a pop song. And then I Googled it and it was like, oh, so that's what Chess the musical is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, so, so let's set the scene. First of all, the, the actual musical itself. Like, when was it written? Who wrote it? Um, where is it set? All these sorts of things, if they're, if they're important. It's set in the late 70s. Uh, it was first on stage in 1984. Yeah. It's written by Tim Rice, who is one of the great musical writers yeah. of our time. He wrote the... The lyrics to lots of Andrew Lloyd Webber songs, okay. uh, uh, musicals, and also The Lion King, for instance. Oh, um, okay. But the music was done by Benny and Bjorn from ABBA. Oh, okay, great. And that, that was Tim Rice's second choice. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Rice went to Tim Rice went to Andrew Lloyd Webber and said, "You want to do a you want to do a musical about uh, about chess?" And Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, "Nah." He was like, "Well, okay." So someone says cats, and he goes, "Hell yeah!" Yes. Someone says chess. Like it's almost no like a crapshoot. I'll just throw a word at this guy, and it might land, it might not. Yeah, yeah. But I think he was also very busy. You know, he had Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita on his on his plate as well. He was, you know, he was he was very very busy. So um, yeah. Anyway, it's about uh, it's about uh, it's like it ma- it's mapped on to the great chess master kind of period in the late seventies when Bobby Fischer was a star um, in, in America. So they've kind of got these these two characters, um, Anatoly Karpov and Freddie, who's like the American guy. Who did you play? Oh, I, I Bishop would. number three or something? <laughs> I'm just a pawn. <laughs> Easily dispensed of. <laughs> I was 15 at the time. I wasn't allowed to have those big roles. Anyway, so it it's really fascinating. It's it's played over six weeks. The the the, the match is played over six weeks. Real three, life match. Real life match. Yeah. Uh, three different competitions. Uh, they start off in Italy, end up in Bangkok, and then uh, I can't remember where their last game is. Anyway, so it, it throughout this whole period, what you've got is um, is the Russian guy who's being manipulated by. It's basically a, a gigantic pissing contest between America and the US. Both have their forces behind them trying to manipulate the game to get what they want out of it. Okay. You not only have US, US, USSR politics kind of uh, at the forefront of this, and the USSR basically are like to, and, 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 and Tolly, like if you don't um, win this, you know, you go to Siberia. Yeah. And on the, on, the, on the American side, it's like a media mogul saying, if you don't get me ratings, <laughs> wow. I'm going to stop giving you money. So when you were a kid and you discovered and you were cast in this show. Yeah. Did you understand all of this? No, this is a great thing. This is why I learnt. I learnt about it. And so, so, and because you're quite a politically interested person, I'm intensely political. <laughs> yeah. Very so, political. did this all start when you got cast in this show? Yes, Dan. My interest in politics started when I learned about Chess the Musical. Are you serious? Well, probably foreign policy. You know, it was. It was. I was always as a kid. I think that's wonderful. As a kid, I always used to uh, collect Time magazine. Uh, my dad would get it once cool. a week. Cool. Inst- 
Don't worry, mine was National Geographic, so we're okay. Okay, okay. So my dad would get Time Magazine every week and he would throw them out and I would think they were really important so I would put them aside yeah, treasures I, I would yeah. hoard them and then the internet came along and you know it was no longer important to mm. have Time Magazine around and Time Magazine will argue the same thing um, <laughs> so it's um yeah anyway so I think I, I certainly learnt a lot about Cold War politics I certainly learnt about particularly the 1956 uh, Soviet invasion of Hungary one of the characters Florence, who is Antoli's uh, second, what they call like uh, a person who is like the second assistant to the chess grandmaster. She is it like a duel. Like if they die, you step in. <laughs> so I think I don't know. I don't quite understand the role. <laughs> I don't know how violent chess I, gets. I don't so. know how, but she's the second. I think like the assistant, and she is uh, trying to help Antoli out a lot. Antoli and her fall in love. Um, Oh, hang on, no. No, no. Oh. Hang on, hang on. No, no. See, this is very complicated. Um, so Florence and Freddie, uh, Florence is Freddie's second, is the American second. Uh, and so she ends up falling in love with the Soviet guy. Oh, no, so star-crossed fl- lovers. So you've got this, you've got this three-way um, story going on. Freddie's a bit of an asshole. The he- real chess game is the one in the hearts of man. <laughs> this is it! You're getting it, Dan! Yeah, you yeah, are yeah. getting it! Uh, and so Freddie just wants... Freddie's full of ego, just wants to win the match. Uh, he doesn't really care about Florence too much, but they're they're shagging. Florence falls in love with an, and the USSS uh, our guy, um, the Soviet guy. The Soviet guy doesn't really want to be with the Soviets anymore because they're being assholes to him and wants to defect to America. Uh, and then Florence, her her backstory is that she's got Hungarian parents. And in 1956, the Russians invaded Hungary mm. and took her dad. So Freddie is putting pressure. So he's still off in a gulag or something somewhere. He's off in a gulag somewhere. We don't know. And there are different productions. But we might find out before the end of the show. Well, this is the thing. There are different productions of chess. And they all oh. they all kind of change the story and the plot line. And in one story, uh, they bring the dad back. But the dad is not the real dad. <laughs> what do you mean there's multiple productions? Like you can buy a different script or it's director's choice or... Well, the director changes... The director, whoever stages it, can change the script and can kind of make their own production. Um, Tim Rice has made two different productions. There was an American production. So in the in the British production, the London West End production, the original production, the story is dense and interesting and great because the Soviet... Um, wins the match and defects to America and the American loses and then um, there's another uh, a woman character the Soviet's wife <laughs> who finds out that he's had this love triangle and he ends up going back to Russia and it's really melancholy melancholy, really interesting and then the Americans put on a version on Broadway and guess what the American wins oh <laughs> uh, yes so, and then then Sydney put on a, on a, on a version yeah. and totally fucked the Crocodile whole thing Dundee up. Crocodile Dundee wins. <laughs> well, this is it. They they said, oh, we don't really need a Cold War narrative. We don't really need... It's just a chess game. <laughs> when was this? When was that? Uh, the Sydney version. Was it before your school put it on? or? Yeah, we put on the the British version. Okay. Um, but the Sydney version, I can't remember. Let me quickly look on the Wikipedia here. 1990. Jim Shaw. Jim... Jim Sharman put on. So Jim Sharman is an American producer. Okay, uh, and then he just. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is. I can't go. talk about Jim Sharman. <laughs> I have to work with Jim Sharman. <laughs> but let's just say he butchered the plot and oh. really fucked it up and really made it not convoluted at all because Australians are dumb. Australians don't know anything about. 
Budapest don't know about anything about the uh, the uprising there. Yeah. They don't understand about US USSR politics, but they might get they might understand a little bit about shagging. Okay. So he stripped all all of the subtext out of the play, and it ended up being. It would end up being watching a test match on stage. So you went and saw it? I didn't go. It was 1990. Oh, okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it. This is before, yeah, and then so, and then your school put it on. And what and what version did you point to say? The British one? I think one. we did the English version. Yeah, the, the You'd like West to think End. so, wouldn't you? I, well, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Okay. Um, and but then, my point is, yeah. it's dense. It's interesting. Yeah. It's about geopolitics. Uh, every song in it is an uh, interesting subtextual roller coaster ride. But on the flip side, I've just got to ask: Are there people dressed up as chess pieces dancing? It depends on the production. <laughs> At your school, was there? Of course, it was. It was a high school dance. <laughs> you can't call it. It was chess. a high school. <laughs> I want to see rooks. <laughs> <laughs> they can only move forwards. They can only move sideways. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, because um, oh, we were Catholic school, so we just had bishops. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and we don't ask what they were getting up to. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about <laughs> Everyone else was just a pawn. Don't worry about uh, okay, so did this? Like, I know we said before that it sort of sparked your interest. Um, I mean, you were what? So, sort of like early teens. I was like fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and so can you trace from there? Like, was there like a next stepping stone after that where you sort of went? I might read a bit more about this. Uh, well, this I whole became a diplomat situation. and then solved relations between East Timor and Indonesia, <laughs> and that was really successful. And we can't talk about that. We can't talk about that. <laughs> um, oh, they and I went for five years. I spent a lot of time in Vienna as part of the Atomic International Atomic <laughs> Agency, uh, and let's just say I stopped a lot of bombs from going off. Oh, okay. good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I do one of those jobs where I can't tell you what I did, but yeah. you're welcome. Then I was the chairman of the ICRC for four years and then got into satire and sketch comedy and did jokes about putting my balls in cups of tea on Channel 10. <laughs> and that's where things really took off. And I thought, yeah. satire. Now I'm finally changing Sketch comedy the world. is going to be my career. <laughs> um, no, no, I mean, not really. I certainly love performing. And, and like, yeah. I, I, at the time, I was doing lots of different stage shows, different kinds of different stage shows all around Sydney and this was just one of them so I, I really I really loved performing I think I really loved how a te- how a show like this how a musical could be so um, dense and you could pack a lot of information into songs and characters and uh, dare I say Dan entertain some people at the same yeah, time yeah is that actually is that something you'd not have much exposure to that idea that like you can do something which is because you know there are two things where it's like oh i'm a performer but also i'm politically minded had you sort of seen many things that combined the two up until that stage not really i think you know when i was 15 not really i mean the late show dj and late show used to do some pretty fun yeah. satire kind of work um but not, I mean, and then not, not really. No, I think back then, Mel Brooks was kind of yeah was kind of it. And then watching and understanding like Mel Brooks's work uh, is really great, and like seeing his parody work and his the stuff that he would pack into his musicals um, was really interesting. Like Blazing Saddles is a really good example, and the producers and um, and even my dad raised me up on. The Marx Brothers. So, ah, really? so Duck Soup, I've watched lots of times. And that's a really good example of where I 
the that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. It was like, oh, this thing that the Marx Brothers made in the '40s still resonates today, and every day it'll be around because it's a story about ego and folly and geopolitical nastiness played out. Oh, ego played out on a geopolitical scale, and it's really. Um, amazing to, to watch and it's funny um, so I really love that and I think that's why I think I have a tendency to do stuff with, which combines comedy and stuff like that makes you think makes you think right <laughs> it's kind of I, 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 did, I wrote Beaconsfield the musical because yeah. because of things like Duck Soup and Blazing Saddles and Men in Tights was that your first moment when you were like oh my god I'm doing it well when you're doing it you don't know you're doing it I think but when you've been on a current affair and chased down the street, you realise, oh, yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, but for yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, great. I've, I've sold out. 35 people are going to enjoy this. <laughs> that was a sellout crowd for what I first put on Pickensville. Anyway, yeah, so it was just one of those things where um, you don't know you're doing it until you've, I think, finished it. Um, I certainly, when I go back and write my resume or my bio up and things like that, it gives me joy because I've created so many things and done so much kind of work um, that I go, oh, fuck, you know, I'm actually doing it. I'm not rich, <laughs> but oh, I'm doing I, it. I'm here at your house and uh, I can I can second that, dear listener. This is, uh, this uh, is grim. <laughs> I'll have you know, we, we need to wrap this up soon because the cleaners may arrive. Oh, uh, so fancy. am I rich or am I lazy? Let's. Um, You're uh, a job creator. Yeah. yeah. I've got a book. I've got a box that needs lifting. Could you do that for me? I mean, I could do it myself, but I'm just <laughs> tired. I hurt my back sleeping. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So... I mean, is, do you think there's something about... Let's talk about musicals in general. Sure. Um, I, I recently wrote a musical as well um, uh, about the potato king of Western Australia, Tony Gallardi. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So it is quite interesting because I... I mean, I did musicals at school and I've always had one that, you know, I remember seeing Sweeney Todd for the first time and going like my sort of school drama class flew to Melbourne. We watched this show and I remember just thinking to myself, oh my God, this is like, I didn't even know that musicals could be so dark and weird <laughs> and crazy and all this sort of stuff. Um, what is it about musicals that, because on paper it sounds weird. It's yeah. like, why is everyone singing? Why are they dressed as cats? You know, why, why? <laughs> it seems unnecessary. Why does everyone have AIDS? Uh <laughs> The cat aids. <laughs> no, but like, um, yeah, why do you think they kind of, I guess, I mean, I'm almost thinking now, obviously some music is tied with emotion and that sort of stuff. I, I think yeah. that's it. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's a hyper real world where music can push emotions in directions faster than mm. words. Uh, and that, I think that's the joy of it for an audience and you with a musical in particular for comedy um you can create work that parodies stuff and people are already on board yeah it's a shortcut and and easy way of getting a laugh 100 percent. as a practitioner i'm not i'm not saying that anything um um, the scared weird little guys do is bad (laughs) (laughs) Um, or it's just it's an easy way to kind of um get jokes out in a in a form in a fast way that um, you can hit the audience with lots of jokes at at, at, a, yeah. at, a, at, a, at pace. I was thinking like <clears throat> back in the sketch comedy days, I'd always get almost annoyed at um, 
when you'd see like someone like the Flight of the Concords or stuff, it was like they had an extra weapon that they could flex. And even if you could write a whole sketch, but even just being able to manipulate the music around it, it was suddenly like, oh, God damn it. People want to listen to musical comedy songs over and over again. Yeah. Too. And they want to learn them and quote them. No one wants to learn a sketch. No, except for no. weirdos like us. Yeah. <laughs> and then we go, why is it, you know, we have an art form too. Like, oh, why didn't I just write one song in 2003 and do that for 10 years yeah. rather than try and write so many other things? All he's doing is saying, take your canvas bags to the supermarket over and over and over. <laughs> I could do that. It wouldn't be funny. <laughs> I don't have the hair. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> you do. You do it, man. But yeah, I don't know. Did Lords of Luxury ever do music? Did it's you hard go? to tell. We um, <laughs> we definitely did this one. I mean, song. I saw I saw a few actually, shows. I, at, I saw a few shows at Trades Hall. Back I in know, the day. and I'm being actually, I'm I was really hypocritical because we actually did this one song where we just said, "What's it gonna be?" over and over and over again, and it was literally one of the best, but most well received things that we ever did. How fantastic! There was that real theme, I don't know, in that sort of late 2000s, early 2010s, where it was um, just repeating something was the funniest thing you could do. Right. Remember, like, Kristen's Charles was a horse? Yeah, yeah. Like, just the more you repeated something, the funnier it got. That yeah. was a real... Wow. And we say that now is the is the dark ages. <laughs> <laughs> it's only dark ages because we've run out of time. That's we're, true. we're old men. Because we're past 30, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it is so... Like, it's interesting what you say about... I mean, sitting down and actually writing your own musical is... Yeah, you can sort of really get the audience quite on side um, because they almost know what to expect. So you can, in the one hand, give them something and they go, oh, cool, I understand that. And on the other hand, you can twist it and it blows their mind. But the music also gives you scope to undercut yeah. emotion, particularly in a comedy sense. You can... You can write a, a peppy song about something very sad and that's funny. Or you yeah. can write a, a very funny song using very sad music mm. and then that's funny. Mm. So it's like you've got instant um, boundaries to undercut um, comedy in 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 the creation. So I, I feel like for, for comedy in particular, it's really uh, easy and powerful. Not mm. easy. It's, not, it's never easy, but um, uh, it's, it's a real good tool to use. There was a book that... Um my friend Jill Cros Cosgriff recommended to me, and it's called The Secret Life of the American Musical. Okay, right. And it literally just, it basically tells you, like, you know, here's how these shows play out. I, um, I'd never actually, like, um, studied the, you know, the shape of a musical or anything like that, but it's kind of like something, I guess, you kind of have almost through muscle memory. Like, I remember at one rehearsal, I was saying to one of the cast members... I was like, um, oh, um, what I really like about this show that I've written. <laughs> well, in hindsight, I was a real jerk. But I was like, no, like, I love how like we start the show and like everyone's on stage. So you get to sort of meet the characters and, and he's like, yeah, that's how every musical starts, mate. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I accidentally nailed it. Yeah. But yeah, it, there are these sort of, um, I guess, pre-established structures and it's only once you kind of think about it a bit, you go, oh my God, yeah, they all work like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, are you, can you, are you agreeing with what I'm saying? Like you, you sort of can see, uh, yeah, you're I picturing in your head, like the way these things sort of flow out? Yeah, I think there's a certain, uh, there's, not, I wouldn't say a formula, but certainly in 
any kinds of narrative. Uh, I feel like narratives, anything, any narrative product kind of has similar trajectories and similar arcs mm. and similar fractal moments of micro narratives within narratives. So I, I feel like that's, if you can understand that and have a good idea of where your characters and story are going, then, um, then yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's very the that's the kind of the basis basis of any good musical. Can you see it with chess? Chess is a little difficult because it's a little more convoluted. And yeah, the, there's a few more characters than your standard musical, and it and it, it takes you and people lose in chess. So okay, kind of the chess ends on a downer. So no spoilers, but okay. Yeah, yeah. You've had since nineteen eighty four to yeah, to, to watch it. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's been thirty years. I always get so annoyed when people say that though, because I'm like, yeah, you're right. Everyone sees everything. <laughs> Don't worry. I still haven't seen the Sixth Sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So people lo- like people lose in chess. Everyone leaves chess unhappy. The characters. Oh, no okay. one really wins in chess. Is that kind of why it appeals to you? Maybe. Ah, it's like tic tac toe. There's never a winner. <laughs> yeah, because you're playing tic tac toe. <laughs> oh my god! Now it's tic tac toe, not chess. Oh god! <laughs> Greetings, that- Professor Falcon. Do you want to play a game? That's um. That would be the like, if you were doing a sketch, you'd take something like tic tac toe musical. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that would have been if you were in the 80s yeah. when Chess had first come out and you had a topical sketch show. If you were on Fast yeah. Forward. Yeah. Yeah. You would have done, yeah. Steve Vizard would have been rolling that out. Yeah. 100%. After Tic Tac Toe, the musical, Hangman. <laughs> well, then, um, then what I'll say is then... So Chess has got, you reckon, has a bit more going on than your traditional sort of, you know, eight parts to every story kind of vibe. Uh, what about when you write? Oh, I try and make it as simple as possible. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't want the... Like, I think in comedy, you don't want the audience to think too hard. Uh, you want to get... But then at the same time, like, you're doing, like, political comedy. Yeah, well, I, so the narrative... Usually in a narrative, I'll try and make the narrative as clean as possible. And then you can say what you want around that. So the narrative is your structure, your pain in your beginning, middle and end and uh, have it nice and satisfying for the audience and make the audience think they're smarter than they are and then layer on top all the stuff you want to say on top of that. So, um, and if you can kind of say it along the way through your narrative, that's perfect. Uh, I'm working on a gigantic narrative, an eight-part, half-hour series at the moment um, uh, with a couple of other comedy friends and it is really hard like the mo- like eight half hours is extraordinary like 50 minutes for a fringe festival is so easy now like, I can't wait to do a fringe festival again so I can just write 50 minutes but writing 40 pages uh, per episode of this other show has been very tricky because the moment you change one thing in one episode yeah you've got to go back and find out where it's where it all affects all the other character choices along the line then change those things all the way around uh, all the way along so narrative is very difficult but once you got that done and you can then you can layer stuff over the top and push things just like push levers in ways to kind of accentuate points you want to make um so that's that's kind of what i think you know but do you think you could write something like chess i think i could break the narrative down but the music forget it 
Um, when I wrote, are <laughs> you musical? Do you play uh, music? No, no, no. I, I, I don't. But I, you know, who did the music for Beaconsfield? So I wrote. I kind of had ideas for songs, and I wrote lyrics down, and then um, it always makes me think I was the same with the one I wrote, and it makes me think of you know um, Garth Marenghi. Oh yeah, how it's like music written by, and it has some name. It says based on tunes originally hummed by <laughs> Garth, Garth Marenghi. Author, <laughs> visionary, Garth Marenghi, Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. <laughs> yeah, they said it couldn't happen, but it did. Um, so with Beaconsfield, I had ideas for what the songs could potentially sound like, and I wrote lyric sheets and then gave them all to a guy called Nigel O'Brien, who is a musical genius. He used to be the head of music at NIDA. He's currently touring Calamity Jane with Virginia Gale around America. Oh, yes, around yes, around yes, America. yes, yes, If you've seen Calamity Jane, he's the guy on the piano okay. uh, playing very vigorously, and he's very funny in his own right. And uh, as we're rehearsing Beakersfield the Musical at my house in Melbourne, uh, so Kate McLennan, Toby Trustlove and I and, and Luke Joslin we're up the top in my living room rehearsing the book, the sketch parts of Beakers for the Musical, while downstairs in my bedroom, uh, Nigel O'Brien had his piano set up and he would work on lyric sheets I'd given him. And after about once every hour, he'd come up and say, okay, guys, I've got the next song. And it would just take him an hour to wow. crack the song. That, that's almost embarrassing for you. It's like <laughs> you could have set the bar a little higher. I know, but he is such a genius and he didn't... There's nothing extraordinarily tricky about the music. It's kind of genre-based music, mm. but he managed to make it all work and the jokes landed beautifully and he would tweak the lyrics to be 10 times funnier than, than what I'd written. And um, and so he would... Over the course of the day, he wrote the entire music and it's just fantastic. Do you... But like, so do you reckon that if you... Again, you... you there's somewhere inside you is the capacity... If you found someone with the musical, I guess, um, not ambition, but, you know, like, you could create something. I don't know. I just find it, like, you, you, when you're a teenager, you discover this musical chess. You've gone on this journey. You're making <laughs> stuff. You've got stuff. Like, do you reckon it's in you somewhere? Yes. I will be doing Brexit the musical. Oh, uh, that's a great <laughs> idea. That's a really Come good October idea. Come October 30. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm going to take something very dense and political. Oh, do you know how many people are working on that right now? Oh, like, everyone, I, Tim Minchin's on it. So everyone's <laughs> working on it right now. Everyone who wants to like be the biggest person in, like, you know... Fringe, like it's on at Fringe right now. It must, yeah, be. it must be on Fringe. Yeah, yeah. Let's Honestly, look at, let's type uh, it into Brexit, Edinburgh Fringe. The, Brexit, the musical, Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> Are you kidding? Brexit, the musical. There it is. Yeah. Oh it, my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, yeah. It's it, it, It's an Edinburgh. It's done. All right. Yep. So I need a new thing. Yeah. There we go. I'll and you can't, you can't take the Potato King of Western Australia. No, you've Tony Galati, the musical's been done. Got... We're bringing it back next Fringe, hopefully. So you got that. I, I, I think I've, I think I'm going to. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to do um, Franking Credits, the musical. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And there you go. Now, now I've got to think of something. Yeah, the, the Boomer, you got, Boomer, the musical. Yeah. you really got to find... Boomers some, are your audience, though. Yeah. <laughs> Boomers are the ones with money. So, yeah. yeah. Don't alienate them. <laughs> yeah. They're the ones who book in advance Young as well. people don't care about politics. Oh. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where... Anything could be a musical if it's good. Like there was Jerry Spring in the musical that yeah. played that played for years. You're in town. You're in town. That's like hilarious. Yeah, but that's yeah. a isn't that a musical about drought? Yeah, and you've got to like pay to go to the bathrooms, yeah. so the rich people get fancy bathrooms. Yeah. Uh, the Putnam Spelling Bee. Yeah, that is a beautiful musical. Yeah. Uh, 
Groundhog Day, Tim mentions Groundhog Day, was one of the best things I've ever seen. Mm. It was really good. Matilda was, I was just beside myself with joy watching that. And so was the little six-year-old sitting two seats across from me. She was jumping up and down. It was one of the most wholesome things I've ever seen. Yeah. I I I think if you've got a good idea, you should just write it up and see how it goes. There's plenty of musicals about famous sports people. You know, you've got Shane Warne. Um, that did well for Eddie Perfect to get him his next gigs. And then some young folks have done... Some young folks, people in their 20s, <laughs> have written a, a Leighton Hewitt, the musical... Uh, that I saw in LA, and you know that was pretty good too. That was um, that was really good. But yeah, to go big, you kind of need big universal stories that folks mm. know. And I I like to think that there's I like to think that I could do it if I had a good idea. And I just need the idea. Mm. I only wrote Beaconsfield the musical because I came up with a pun and put it on my board. Like it, that's my board over there. Um, it's got a whole bunch of cards written on, stuck up on my wall, and. Back when I wrote Beaconsfield, I had Beaconsfield a musical in A flat minor, and that was yeah, on my, and that was on my board for a year. Oh. And I thought, right now I've just got to write that. That's yeah. I, think, I still think that's a good idea. Tony Galati was you say potato, I say revolution. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? That's good. So you just get stuck in your head, and yeah. you're like, I've got to do justice to that dumb idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I can't let. It, I have to. I have to write it. I have to write it. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Your cleaners didn't even arrive. You should sack them. Well, they said between 10 and 10.30. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll leave you with this. My favorite song from Chester Music. Great, yeah. Is a song that often gets left out of different productions because people or producers think it's a boring song. The song is called Embassy Lament. It's about the little people who work in diplomatic offices, uh, assigning people's passports and visas and anytime I go to the US consulate to get my visa I have that song stuck in my head and it really hurts for days afterwards so uh, just do yourself a favour just listen to Chester Musical you'll have a great time on Spotify I guess Spotify I I mean I'm a Google Music person myself but um, alright yeah whatever (laughs) I mean I only buy vinyl LPs so. (laughs) (laughs) so retro it's got to be the London West End version okay don't listen to any other version the American version is shit. All right. I'll, um, yeah, fantastic. I will definitely listen to it. I literally came here thinking it was all about chess pieces. And now I'm like, holy shit, global politics. Can't wait to get into it. It is dense. Yeah. But knowing you, I should have expected nothing less. <laughs> yeah. I like me. I am, I'm also dense. Very, <laughs> very dense. All right. Thanks, Dan. Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBooth is pretty much made entirely by me, Dan DeBooth, except for the music, which is by Caleb Garfinkel, and the artwork, which is by David Ferrier and Joe Kutry. <laughs>